Welcome to Stories from Nowhere. I'm your host, Randall Bond, and today's story is entitled, The Fishing Lure. When I was a boy, my dad would come home with some of the coolest stuff, uh, like the time he wheeled home a working iron lung from the hospital where he worked. I mean, I don't know anybody that does stuff like that. And I didn't know what the heck he was going to do with it. I mean, that thing probably held some poor polio patient in it. And here we were, little boys, sitting inside of it, pretending like we were in voyage to the bottom of the sea. Or the time he brought home an aluminum canoe that a woman had cut in half with a chainsaw so that she and her husband could each have 50% of it after their divorce was finalized. My dad thought he could repair it, but uh, he didn't. He never did. Or better, better still, the time he brought home uh, a bulldozer that he had purchased uh, that would only go in reverse. And uh, I might tell another story about that later, but he ended up parking that thing in our two-car garage, tore it all apart, and he ended up fixing it. But one of the coolest things that my dad owned was a dark green canvas and cedar canoe that he built from scratch when he was living on the family farm out in western Kansas. I can remember sitting on an ice chest in the middle of that canoe with my little brother Bobby with our little oars in our hand as my dad paddled and steered from the rear and my mother navigated from the front. And my dad, I remember he always brought a roll of duct tape with us when we went canoeing because all too often we'd hit a twig or a snag or a branch or something below the waterline and just like the Titanic, we'd rip a hole in the side of that canoe and we'd have to stop, take everything out of the canoe, flip it upside down, let it dry, and then Dad would apply that uh, duct tape bandage, if you were, so that we could continue on our way. My brothers and I went fishing with my dad and that canoe a lot. I thought that we were going camping because my dad wanted to teach us how to hunt and fish and survive in the wilderness. And I'm sure there was probably some of that, but as I get older and have a son of my own now, I realized that camping was a way to get all of us boys out of the house and give my poor mother a break. My dad took my brother Bob and I out in that green canoe on Perry Lake one summer. We must have been seven or eight years old. We paddled out on Perry Lake and we'd been paddling around for a couple of hours and my dad spotted a little island out in Perry Lake and it was close to the mouth of a stream and we decided that would be a really cool place to set up our campsite for the night, have our own little island to ourselves, And so we did. We canoed over, uh, pulled the canoe up on the, the little shore there, set up our tent, got our campfire going, and we did some fishing that night. We typically wouldn't bring much food for lunch or dinner. We just anticipated catching our lunch or catching our dinner. And we must have had dinner that night, probably catfish or bass or whatever we happened to catch that night. Went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and Dad would bring those little boxes of cereal. Uh, you know, you can find them in the store till to this day, you know, Frosted Flakes or Fruit Loops or Lucky Charms, whatever you liked. They'd be in these little boxes. And we would each get one of those in the morning, and Dad would bring about a half a gallon of milk. And those boxes have lines scored on them, and you can cut those boxes open and pour milk directly into the box and then eat the cereal out of the box. And my brother and I would, would eat that cereal out of the box, and then we would save those boxes for the evening. And after we were done with everything and about ready to go, to bed for the night, we would light those boxes on fire and we would put them on the lake and watch those little firelit boats of, of cereal 
float away from us into the darkness. And we'd watch them till they extinguished. Either they, you know, sunk or the flame would have gone out. I remember the second night we were there, we were getting ready to go to bed and Dad came in. Uh, we had a little two-person tent that the three of us would sleep in. So Dad came into the tent and said, hey, it might rain tonight. So remember, if it starts raining, do not touch the inside of the tent. So we were very mindful, don't touch the tent if it starts raining. So we go to sleep, and I'm sound asleep, and about 1 o'clock in the morning, I hear my dad, get up, get up, let's go, right now, everybody up, let's go, we gotta get going. And in the middle of the night, it had started pouring rain, not just a little rain, it started pouring rain. And so we get up, you know, wiping the sleep out of our eyes, wondering what's going on, and dad screaming, get your sleeping bags, get the tent you know, torn down. Let's go. We got to get everything out of here. And as we walked out to try to tear our tent down in the middle of this uh, rainstorm, we can see that the water in Perry Lake is rising pretty rapidly. So we, in mad scramble, take our tent down, fold our sleeping bags up, throw it on the canoe, and we get in the canoe and paddle away. And there's there's only about a eight or 10 foot area on this island that was left, uh, that was not submerged from when we went canoeing. And I remember our dad as we're paddling back, and of course, we're soaked to the bone, just drenched as we're paddling back. And I remember my dad saying, well, whose who's dumb idea was it to set up camp on an island in the middle of a lake? But if there were two people uh, that hated camping, that would have been my mom and my sister. Uh, they just couldn't see the point, I guess, of pretending to be homeless for a few days on end. But when I was 11 or 12, uh, our entire family went on a summer camping trip to Wisconsin. Now, I'm told that the real reason we went there was for a family reunion and to visit my grandfather's childhood home. And I do vaguely remember visiting that home, which was out in the middle of a field, and my 90-year-old great-grandmother teaching me how to roll under barbed wire fences, just like she used to do when she was a girl. On her way to school, uphill both ways, in six feet of snow. But I don't remember much else from the first part of that trip. I remember that we canoed down the dells and we rode the ducks. And the dells are these beautiful slab-like rock structures, and they line about a five-mile section of the Wisconsin River. And then the ducks were World War II personnel carriers, and they kind of resembled a large four-wheel drive army truck, but with a bow like a yacht and one large propeller at the back. And these were designed to take soldiers from ships anchored at sea uh, to shore. Uh, they were very inefficient war vehicles, but you know, I guess they made great tourist attractions. After a few days on vacation there in Wisconsin, my mother, my sister, my little brother left to go home, while Dad, Bobby, and I were set to visit several other campgrounds in our little pop-up camper and do some more fishing. Our first stop was a little trout farm. This campsite had several large ponds that they used to raise, raise trout to help populate lakes and uh, people's personal uh, ponds. And we got to see each step of this process from thousands of eggs to what looked like to us thousands of little trout minnows and tanks and then finally to them being released into these large trout ponds. And in order to keep the ponds from becoming overcrowded, they would allow the people that were staying at these camps to come and catch one or two trout a day. And I remember we would take that green canoe out and paddle along these, these ponds somewhat close to the shore so that we could... Uh, throw our lines out and catch our couple trout limit for the day and we take those back uh, to dinner or for dinner in the evening. Uh, our next stop after this trout farm uh, was a much bigger campsite and it had two large fishing ponds. They were more like 
small lakes. And we got into the camp that first night pretty late, but Bob and I really, really wanted to go fishing. And I'll never forget that no sooner had we put our lines into the water that several college students showed up, I mean, out of the blue, like running out of the woods. They stripped down to their underwear, they jumped in the water, and they began to wash their hair and their bodies with shampoo. There was bubbles and soap everywhere. Uh, to this day, I can't figure out why in the world, with as large as these ponds were, with these idiots uh, deciding to jump in right where we were fishing. So we packed up our stuff and left and went back to our campsite. And we never spoke a word about this to our dad. I'm sure if we had, he would have gone down there and just ripped them a new one. And the next day, we got up early, headed back to the same pond to do some fly fishing. Now, I loved fly fishing. If you've never been fly fishing, it's with a much longer rod. You have a lot more action, a lot more to do. But that day, when Bob and I were fly fishing, we caught fish about every second or third cast. We just caught fish over and over and over again. And we were using these lures called poppers, or at least that's what we called them. When you would pull these lures out of the water, they'd make this little popping sound. And we just caught, caught a ton of fish. And I loved fly fishing. Uh, but Bobby, he, uh, he didn't like fly fishing very much at all. So the next day, we went back out with our normal rods and reels and uh, used some little uh, spinnerbait type lures. And that day, about every time we cast our line into the water, we caught a fish. It was the best fishing. I think it's the best fishing I probably ever had in my entire life. And uh, we, like I said, we caught fish about every time that we put uh, our line into the water. And uh, we brought a whole mess of them back. Dad was fishing with us. We brought a whole mess back. We had a great fish fry that evening. And Bob and I, we'd had such a good time. We said, hey, could we go back? and do some more fishing. So we helped Dad clean up around the campsite and then grabbed our tackle boxes and our, and our fishing poles and headed back out to fish. And it was the same thing, catching fish right and left and just had a, the time of our lives. And as the sun was starting to set, just starting to set, we decided, you know what, it's going to be dark soon. We should probably head back to camp. So we did. Packed up everything, put the hooks to our lures through a little eyelet on our fishing pole to be safe, and then started our little trek back to camp. And as we started, Bob looked at me and he said, hey, uh, you know, we should race back to camp. Now, I don't know what possessed me to say yes. Bob was always faster than me. Bob was always more athletic than me. But for some reason this day, I said, yeah, well, let's race back to camp. So we did. We started out racing back to camp. And for the first time ever, I was holding my own against Bob. In fact, the closer we got to camp, I started pulling ahead of him. I was in the lead. And Bob must have been thinking, I can't let my fat older brother beat me back to camp. And so he took his fishing pole and started hitting me in the arm as we're racing back to camp to slow me down. And as I kept slowly pulling ahead of him, he reared back and hit me as hard as he could in the arm with his fishing pole. And as he did, the hook to his lure had come off of his fishing pole and just like it was in slow motion, that lure swung out in front of my face. And I started screaming at Bob, your lures come loose, your hooks come loose. And at about the same time, Bob saw that his hook had come loose. And he yanked his fishing pole back to make sure that the lure wouldn't hit me. And as he did that, that lure sunk right into the lower left side of my bottom lip. So Bob and I in unison 
slowed to a jog, and then slowed to a walk. Bob kept the tip of his fishing pole up close to my face so that he wouldn't accidentally pull on that lure and make it hurt a little worse. And we couldn't think of a story on the way home that would make any sense. How do you explain how a 12-year-old boy gets a lure stuck in his lip uh, that makes any common sense at all? And my dad, I remember as we pulled into the, or walked into the uh, campsite, my dad had set up a, a little basin of water on a, a little stand, and um, he was behind it with his razor, and he had shaved about half of his face. Half of his face was clean shaven, the other half it still had shaving cream on it. And as we rounded the corner to get to our campsite, he saw us, and he threw his razor into that basin of water and screamed, Ah, oh, for crying out loud! So we walked up to him and kind of sheepishly explained what had happened, and uh, so my dad says, hey, you know, what we've got to do is we've got to clip this line off of this lure first. And as he went to clip the line, he realized that the line was already broken, that Bob had pulled so hard on his fishing pole that he'd broken the fishing line. So my dad spent, I don't know, probably about 10 minutes trying to dig that hook out of my lip. And if you've been fishing or know anything about fishing hooks, fishing hooks have a little barb on them. It makes them you know, slide into the fish's mouth and the fish's lip quite easily, but uh, they don't come out easily. So my dad said, uh, Sonny, and I knew if my dad called me Sonny, that either something really good was going to happen or something really bad was going to happen. And I was pretty darn certain something good wasn't going to come out of this. And he said, Sonny, the only thing that I know to do is to push this hook all the way back through your lip, cut off the barb, and then it should come out. So dad put his hands up to my face and told me to grab his wrist as tightly as I could. He said, don't move your head. Don't move your head when I'm doing this. We could do a lot more damage to your lip. Don't move your head. So after several minutes of him straining to push that hook through the other side of my lip, I finally felt my skin give way. And he was able to clip off that barb and he pulled that hook back out of my lip. When we got done, Bob said, looked at me and said, man, Randy, you, you only cried like one tear that whole time. And I looked at my dad's hands and his wrists and his hands were, were white because I'd been screaming them so tightly. He put some antibiotic ointment on it and told me, we'll have to really keep an eye on that because if that gets infected, we're probably going to have to go to the hospital. Now, I don't remember that lip hurting much at all after that first night. And I know it didn't keep us from the rest of our trip because our final stop was a campground that was near some railroad tracks that had been converted into bike paths. And the unique thing about these bike paths were that they went through three different tunnels. Two of the tunnels were roughly about a half a mile long, but one of the tunnels was over a mile long. And my dad rented these three-speed bicycles, and we spent a lot of time riding up and down those paths. And the, bi the mile-long tunnel, you could barely see a pinprick of light at the far end. And inside all of the tunnels, the paths were, were crowned to allow the water that seeped in from the hillside to, to clear off of the paths so you didn't have to ride through standing water. And they, it was crowned into these little ditches with water on the side. So after riding through these tunnels and on these paths for most of the day, Bob was like, hey, you know what? We should race back to camp, which I thought was a great idea. You know, we obviously had not learned a thing from earlier in our trip. But bicycling, that was the one thing. That was the one thing I was better at than Bob. And I was leading him back to camp, and I was egging him on. Like, come on, you loser, catch up, blah, 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 blah. 
and you know that that brotherly love sort of thing and as we pr- approached that mile-long tunnel i suddenly slammed on my brakes allowing bob to just fly past me into the abyss at first he was laughing and giggling because he thought he was then going to win the race but shortly thereafter i hear an oh no no what oh no and the sound of bob's bike crashing into the side of the tunnel and then a big splash of water as he fell into that ditch now i don't know if i did this on purpose to get back at him for hooking me in the lip but when you're out riding bikes in the bright sun and you enter a dark tunnel it takes your eyes several seconds to adjust bob started screaming at me oh you did this on purpose you knew this was going to happen and i did and i was outside the tunnel giggling I turned on my little headlight that was on my bike, but it only lit up about 10 feet in front of me. And I slowly pedaled in, found out where he was, helped him get up, helped him get back on his bike, and we got him situated and we slowly rode out of the tunnel. At the far end, as we entered daytime again, we looked over and Bob had skinned his face and his uh, shoulders and his arms and his knees. And he was kind of in bad shape and bleeding out of a lot of different areas. So we're slowly riding back to camp, and as we pull into our little camping slip, Dad was outside again, not shaving, but saw us, threw both of his hands in the air, and said, Ah, for crying out loud! We went camping dozens of more times while I was still living at home, and fishing probably hundreds of more times. And I always joke with Bob that I would always be his biggest catch. They say that revenge is a dish best served cold on a bike path in a train tunnel in Wisconsin. This has been Stories from Nowhere. I'm your host, Randall Bond. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you'll join us again next Monday. Stories from Nowhere is sponsored by Caitlin's Creations, Bond and Sun Lawn Mall, and by Bond Bonds, chocolate-covered cake confections.